Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me are Sean and John. How are you, Sean? Good. Enjoying this inclement weather in Perth. It makes me feel like I'm back home in a Scottish summer, having this uh, Perth winter. How are you, John? I'm very well. Um, I will do a little bit of the weather forecast also. It's freezing here in Sydney. (laughs) Um, And yeah, we've just found out we've got another week with a COVID lockdown, which is so much fun. So, mm. yeah, bored. You're bouncing off the walls yet or what, John? Yep, I'm already gone mad. Already gone mad. Perfect. Great time to talk Celtic then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, what we'll do is just um, anyone who tuned in for our live podcast on the weekend, just gone. thanks for that. It was uh, great, great to have people watching and listen to us talking rubbish about potential transfers and Celtic Football Club and everything. So, Thanks for that. We'll do more of them during the season. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Celtic Down Under podcast through your favourite podcast app. Also, you can get our podcast on YouTube, so please subscribe to our channel on there. So what we'll do is we'll just get straight into it. We'll start with our first topic. Peter Lawwell has left his role as CEO of Celtic. So, boys, what I want to know from you guys, and I've got some – we put this out on Twitter as well, so I'm going to get some – read a few posts out – in there as well, but I want to know how you guys look back on his time in the position and what his legacy at the club will be. So we'll go to you first, Sean. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think, I mean, he's never going to get anywhere near his predecessor and Fergus McCann. Let's let's be frank about that. And it's a shame he's definitely overstayed his welcome. And as time went on, he uh, increased his he decided on his own to increase his purview uh, more and more every year to the point where he was sitting on like multiple committees and like three or four different football boards at the same time. Uh, Unbelievable retail contracts. I mean, I think somebody said that the only positive that came out of the the review that Dermot Desmond commissioned was the the retail arm of the club uh, was doing well. Uh, apparently everything else was just a shit show, and that, that kind of, to me, comes to Lawwell was trying to micromanage everything, uh, and he's fucked up. And he's not brought in people he can well whether he can trust people or not. I don't know, but he's not brought in people who are competent enough to do these roles for him, and so he's just taking it on himself. And whether it's an issue of his competence or whether it's an issue of he spread himself too thin. He went as soon as Brendan Rogers left, that was it. That was the end of the game. Uh I think he was clashing with Rogers. Uh because yeah, I mean they were literally clashing over decisions and, and roles and who who had who should be in charge of making football related decisions. Lawwell thought it should be him. Rogers thought it should be him and we all know what's happened since then, you know. He brought in his yes man, Neil Lennon, and everything went to shit. Uh, and unfortunately for Lowell and for us, that's probably going to end up being his legacy, is that in his last two years, uh, he decided to start running the show when he wasn't, either was not placed to do it or not competent enough to do it. But either way, he proved that he couldn't do it. All right, so before we get your take on it, John, I'll go through a couple of the Twitter post responses that we had. So um, we had um, one here, held Celtic back years and stuck his nose into business he wasn't qualified for. Egomaniac, control freak, he was vastly overpaid and stayed for 12 years too long. In contrast to that, we've got another one here. It says, anyone who says anything other than financial success, nine in a row and four trebles in, in a row, is a half-wit brat who needs slapped. Um, then you've got another one saying his legacy will be the man who watched the club being cheated for millions for over a decade and not only did nothing, but also helped the perpetrators start a new club while claiming it was the same club. He should have been ousted from the job years ago for dereliction of duty. So here's another one, dictatorship, nepotism, blind-eyed cheating, illegal player registrations, EBTs, regression in Europe, toxic relationship with fans, shambolic recruitment and downsizing of Celtic FC. So you've got quite a few people there. You've got disco lights, three-quarter size indoor training building, not fit for purpose. Uh, 
50-year-old stand that's well past its sell-by date. The John McGinn shambles, awful buying, good players sold cheaply. He was awful. So you've got a lot of people there all over the place. So, John, what's your take on him? Um, well, not good, to be fair. There's there's really two types of um, versions of Peter Lawwell, which we'll probably remember. There's the one here and now, and there's one maybe that history remember long term. Um, I, I agree with the, and I feel the same thing, the, the anger right now towards what he did. Because in the short term, um, he screwed up too much and too much of a short period of time. I mean, all of the problems that we're discussing um, probably happened over three, four seasons. We saw them coming. We had all the banners up, you know, asleep at the wheel and all that stuff. So we knew it was coming. Um, Although I think history might remember him a bit differently in the sense that, um, you know, he, he did have, he was the head of a period of huge success at Celtic. Um, And yeah, you're right. Financially, he brought Celtic to a point where, we really could have gone on and, and recompeted against some big European teams, but we didn't. And that's 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 just a fact. We didn't. We we went backwards. We regressed, and and that's completely because of him. Really, we should never know who the CEO is. Really, we should. He shouldn't really be involved in the day to day running of of a football club. And the fact that we all know who he is and how much involvement he has and how much we disagree with it is too much for me. It's far too much. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just going to disagree with you quickly, John, before you move on. He should, he definitely should be involved in the day-to-day running of the club. He should not be involved in the day-to-day running of the football operations. Yeah, well, no, exactly, right? And and correct me if I'm wrong, what you mean is like the business sense. He yes, has to be involved. In the club. Exactly. Yeah. And we've kind of talked about this before, right? Um, with any football team, not just Celtic, but there should be, uh, the, a football team is, a, at the end of the day, a piece of entertainment, right? And I understand it's more than that for a lot of people, including most Celtic fans. But it, mm. but but all of the financial success should be translated into the entertainment package of it. The, the buying and selling of players are a really good quality that gets us trophies and makes us win stuff. That should That's the only reason why you want to be financially secure. That should be your whole goal. Like, I understand, I've said this before, for me personally, I think, the role of a business and a CEO, if you were to break even every single season and it, and you were to win everything, I'd be quite happy with that. Obviously, there's some business senses involved where you've got to look like, think of a little bit long-term and stuff and all that, but really, that would be my absolute ideal situation. Never been financially insecure, but never having 30, 35 million in the bank just for a rainy day, and then it all bloody disappears anyway because of COVID. So I think that's what I'm saying. In my opinion, short-term he'll not be remembered well long-term. Maybe history might remember him slightly better. I don't know. Yeah, I think what you're saying there is kind of like with Fergus. He wasn't really well-liked when he left, but you look back at him now and you're just like building his statue. The guy deserves it with what he did for the club. Like Peter Lawwell, I'm not a big fan of him at all, so I'm just playing devil's advocate right here. Not a fan of him. Don't like the guy. I think he got too involved in things he shouldn't have. So... As you were saying, Sean, there's the football side and there's the there's the business side, the PLC side. He should be all over that, running that, and the football either to either a director of football or your manager running that. That's what we're seeing at the moment with Ange and Dom. So it's good to see that there's looks like there's a clear they're working together. That's Ange's area is the football side, Dom's side is the business side and the club and operations and how that's all working. That's what I want to see. Well, I'm saying devil's ad- advocate, there'll be a lot of people looking back going, well, in the lo- in the last 20 years, we've won 15 titles domestically. So the people will be saying that. There's been improvements to the stadium every season. So if you're making a lot of money, there's been investing three, four million here and there, new pitch, disco lights, sta- safe standing area, the Celtic way's been done up outside, all this sort of stuff, right? So there's little things that make the fan experience better because you said it's an entertainment industry. You need to invest in your infrastructure. So he's been doing stuff like that bit by bit by bit, season by season. So there'll be people saying all that. I appreciate that that's been done for the fans, but at the end of the day, it's all about what's happening on the pitch. And since 
the invincible treble and Brendan being the biggest figure at the club. I don't think Law could take that within his ego, couldn't take that. And that's when he started interfering more and more and more and more. And the club's gradually downsized bit by bit by bit by bit to get to where we are today. So for yep. me, his legacy is off the field, on the business side and establishing and building up what the club is. Okay, I'll give him a thumbs up for that. The rest of it, two thumbs down. Not needed. The story that always sticks out in my mind is the one where, is it Puccini, the right back, where he got Brendan Rodgers delayed his family holiday so that he could meet Puccini, who was flying in uh, from Valencia, I think, uh, to have the He was in Celtic Park and everything. And then apparently once he got here, stated his wage demands while he was in the building and Lawwell just went, nah. And then apparently he was asking for something like 60 grand. I'm like, how do you, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you not, communicate that before you get on a plane do you mean that that is ridiculously outside of our wage structure you know like how did that happen like and that's that apparently that was what triggered rogers that whole thing what because a player asked for 60k and we just went oh that's achievable no no like, the the player was allowed to like i don't even think rogers get on, was get involved on a plane. in that like, the, yeah, yeah the player was allowed to like rogers delayed his family holiday and you know went out his way to meet this player and and then Lawwell just hadn't even had a conversation with them about whether they could meet in the middle in advance, you know. And th- and that, that's one one of the biggest. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that's one of the biggest problems with uh, Lawwell as a CEO is he shouldn't be involved in a structure of recruiting players. That's not that's not a job of a CEO. Oh, that would be one of his biggest criticisms long term. Well, a CEO's job is to sign off the budget, so. I mean, he doesn't. You're right. And that's not, it. He shouldn't be negotiating, but he should be. He should be saying, "Here's your wage budget," and then if the director of football or manager, uh, and it would be manager's job at the time, wants to go over that budget, then they would have to negotiate with him to justify that in some way. You know, that's exactly it. Well, I heard a different story, different version of that story. So that's what I'm saying as well. There's so much misinformation. Like you're saying it broke down on wages, Sean. I've heard that it broke down and over the transfer fee and the structure that like he got in there. And then when Lawwell was sitting down, he was like, no, we're, we're not going to pay this much up front. And he's, they wanted, I think it was like 10 million for him or 11 million or something, but it was going to be seven paid up front. And he's like, no, nah, we'll only pay five. And the, and so it was turn around and say it back to his club. That's what I heard about that transfer. So hmm. either, but but the the result is the same, right? It's a CEO yeah. who is mismanaging the recruiting of players. And and look, I can remember sitting in pubs um, with my old man, and he's telling me that Lowell should be getting statues outside of Celtic Park for how well he's financially run Celtic. But but when even at the time, even though we were winning everything. We could kind of we were getting disgruntled by the fact that these stories were coming out. We were getting quite annoyed. I mean, look, the he who should not be named, you know, John McGinn saga and all that stuff. That was that was just the absolute case study of why Law will really fucked all that stuff up for for the Celtic recruitment. Um, what I also heard was, um, you know, he was saying he built a big, you know, pot of of cash in the bank. That he wasn't doing anything with. What also hurt was you're saying with COVID coming along was I think his legacy that he was trying to build up with that cash was the hotel and the museum that he wanted to build and the new superstore. Because if he managed to get that 35, 40 million he needed to build that, that would be his long, like Fergus's legacy was that getting us out of debt, keeping us alive as the same club and the Lisbon Lions stand, right? And building that. His legacy I think he was working towards was get that museum, get that hotel because that hotel is going to be a revenue stream ongoing year upon year upon year upon year for the club because if I went over from from Australia to go to a game, I don't know Glasgow that well. So for me, if there was a hotel right there, I'd be like, happy days, I'll grab a room there. The club's making money off a fan and then they're getting tickets off me. I'll go spend money at the superstore. I'll go to the museum. So I'd be that Celtic tourist. Then you'd have European nights. Opposition crowd comes over. Where are they going to stay? If it's right near the stadium and there's bars and whatever around there, perfect. They'll go there. You make money off them as well. So I think that's what his legacy was going to be in his mind that, okay, I've run the club well enough that we built this, which is going to 
be a good money spinner for the club going forward, and that never happened. Yep, and that, and that's that's the problem. Never happened. That's what that's what you fucked up. Um, yeah, I mean that that could still go ahead, right? You could still have the hotel and the mega store and the museum and stuff. It just won't. It just won't be um, financially as free, I guess, as oh. spending thirty million, thirty-five million on doing it. Or probably have to take a loan out. And yeah. but then, that, but then that's you know, if he had, if he had done that anyway, <laughs> if he had taken a loan out for that stuff, all that infrastructure, right, and then reinvested the actual money that he had into the team, he would have made so much money from Champions League. Exactly. So it's just a silly way of managing a club. Most look, I would look at the biggest teams in the world, right? Um, Real Madrid, Barcelona, all of that stuff. They have all been running at a financial loss. They're all in debt, right? And it's taken something like COVID for that to be a really big problem. But what what are the chances of that ever happening? Do you know what I mean? You can't really mitigate for a global pandemic of that scale. Um, so you could have a hundred percent spent all of that money on player acquisition and taken loans out against the infrastructure and then taken the revenue you would be getting from European football back into um, paying that debt off. And you'd have paid it off really fast as well if you were really good at it. Yeah, I think I think short-term Law will be despised as he rightly should be because it was him and his board, still bloody board we've got, that screwed up the 10. In my opinion, as much as, as, much as it was obviously the players on the pitch, players that wanted the way should have been let um, allowed to leave you should have bought just as good straight away um, I think long term not forgiven but maybe we'll forget a little bit we'll forget as much of the detail so it might just be re- like respected rather than loved for me the thing will always be that the fact that he's turned our income into just have the, the retail is just such a huge percentage of our income like it's it really is like a safety net for us like because the Champions League is not, it's particularly the way we run, is not something that can be relied on. Uh, well, they used to have every second year as the model, and I think they've changed now to one in four as your model for Champions League income, which basically means uh, in terms of amortization, you're looking at seven point, they budget for 7.5 million a year, or 7.5 to 10 million a year in terms of Champions League, which is why you have 32 million in the bank, because you're spreading that cost over four years which is how they budget. So you know, that's the way they run the squad. That makes sense and it works and we, we stay on an even keel because of that. But it's not what fans want to see. Fans want to see Champions League every second year. We'd rather that they pumped 20 extra million pounds into the squad every year. Uh, and if you look at that in a numbers on paper kind of standpoint, then that actually results in a loss. So like, if you if you make every second year, so you pump an extra 20 million in, and you make it every second year, then your outlay is over two years is 80 million, but your income is 60. So you actually lose money doing that. Mm. And you can offset that with the financial mismanagement of the club and the wage bill. Like we're spending 60, 65% of our net income on player wages at the moment, which is ridiculous. Like the season when Rogers was manager first time around we had net we had 100 million come in we spent 62 million or something like that i think it was on on wages like you look at a club like ajax who went to the champions league final a couple of years later and they were spending like 40 million on wages and now i'm bringing in 120 million so it shows we haven't been getting value for money as well so that's another factor that we, we wanted him to stay out of the, the football side, but then he got involved and now I think we're paying too much in wages as well. And you've got people at the moment talking about the club's downsizing. I actually hope that we're being smarter with our money, but that's another issue for later on. Mm. I mean, and it's uh, I don't think um, if he spent what, – what, what do you think Celtic's budget is yearly? $20 million? $15 no, million? No. Oh, what you, for what do you mean? In- for, player, for player acquisition. What, what do you mean? Are you talking about salaries and amortization or are you talking about sa- uh, transfer money? What? Uh, transfer, transfer, transfer fee, not wages, because wages is a separate, I understand it's probably for comes out from St. Paul. Football clubs aren't really managed in terms of transfer budgets. The way they, they work out is amortization, which is if you sign a player, you add the cost of his transfer fee plus his salary 
uh, total salary and mm-hmm. you divide it by the number of years that he's contracted and that's the how you budget it okay so if you say that so if you sign a player for 10 million who's 2 million a year in terms of salary on a five-year contract then his amortization would be 4 million per year yeah right okay so what do you, what do you think that is uh, i believe it to be 70 i would say about 70 70 million a year something yeah. like that we're spending on average, we've been spending around sixty to seven in that sixty to seventy percent range for the last five years. So, so if we were to add, if we were if we were to add ten million of that, right? So let's say everybody's saying if we were going to get if we if we were to add ten million, would that probably would that guarantee us one and two Champions League qualifications? No, no nothing. You're never guaranteed. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're absolutely not guaranteed. Could we speculate and say that that's a good ratio to move forward to the plan? Spend an extra ten million a year, and you you can speculate and budget from one out of every two qualifications you're through. Financially, you call that a high risk strategy, or higher risk. Excuse me. I call, you know what higher. I call that strategy? I call that Glasgow Rangers strategy that made them go under. I, I don't think it's that bad, but I mean, it's definitely <laughs> higher. You just risk. want to do it for a cheap pop. Yeah, like, like our, the retail the retail income is a lot. More of a so the the fact that the, the retail income is a very steady income, if you know what I mean. Like there'll be ups and downs every year, but you're talking like ten percent fluctuations, right? Mm-hmm. And whereas the champion, you know, your revenue from competition is, if we don't make the Champions League, is what fifteen million. If we do make it, it's forty million. So like it's it's catas- you know, it's huge. That's like one hundred fifty percent variance. Do you know what I mean? Like that is. Uh, when you start to gamble on getting that money, that is what you call high risk strategy. Yes, yes, I, I can, I can totally see that. Yeah, I just think that there are some areas where we could be, and it doesn't have to be in. What did you call it? Monetization of players, of pl- uh, amortization. Okay, you don't. We don't have to spend ten, ex- ten million extra in monetization. We could spend it in um, better data analytics. We could spend it in better scouting departments. We could spend it in our youth academy. And I feel like that's probably where we've failed over the past, probably since Lowell got involved, to be honest. And all of that stuff of what we discussed before is we could have a better long-term plan and long-term strategies without having to bank this money um, every year just for a rainy day fund, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that as... I, I, if, I, if I was ever in Lowell's position, I don't. I don't know how I could justify doing that every single year and not reinvesting it into the company that I'm working for. Do you want to know the the dangerous thing of having all that money sitting in the bank? You act, my old man is a bank manager. My godfather is a head of taxation at a big company over here. So, one thing they've told me is having a lot of cash sitting in the bank doing nothing is stupid. It's actually the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. So as you were saying, when we mentioned the hotel, if we had to put up, say, $10 million into that and then got a loan for the remaining $30 million, by the time we pay off that 30 that we've put $10 million in, so as we're paying that off, we've already got an asset that's going to be incurring and improving and going up in value as we're paying it off and we're going to be ahead of the curve. It's the same with if you were to do up Barrowfield, that would be an investment do new change room, do a new stand, do all that. That's something that if we spend a couple of million on it now, then in five years' time, it's going to be an asset, which means our assets on the ledger will go up, which means then we've got more leverage with the banks. We've got, we actually are in a better spot than if we had 35 million sitting in the bank because if we ever had to do anything, you've got these assets that are worth more. That's kind of like when you look at, the main stand and how old that is people are talking about can we put another tier over it make it all the same size bring it up to eighty thousand. those extra twenty thousand seats there would pay that stand off and the value you need to in five to ten years and then you just totally pay every bank again every after that five or ten years that's just an extra if it's 600 quid right a season ticket and you've got an extra twenty thousand. Some extra cash there for you, isn't it? A hundred percent. 
And 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 look, it, there's loads of stuff that we, we need to do. What was that? It's extra twelve million a season at six hundred a pop. So if you did something like that, it'd well, cost you fewer tickets. Or yeah, I understand that. And I'm just saying, with there being a waiting list and all this sort of stuff, I doubt it would happen if you would sell it all. But that's the sort of thing there that you look at for an investment wise to grow and improve your facilities, your infrastructure, things that you own, your asset. But at the same time, yeah. Which he didn't really do. It was kind of handy really, money there, but we didn't do shit. He did like because a lot of the stuff that that we're that that he's claiming that he probably did and so exclaiming that he did was actually not adding on to what we had. It was to bring bringing stuff up to the modern era. Yeah. That was that's all he ever did. The um correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm I'm pretty sure that all the renovation outside of Celtic Park Celtic Way and stuff was all actually on a Commonwealth Games grant. That was that was so that the when Glasgow had the Commonwealth Games that they could use Celtic Park as some of the arenas. That's anyway that's where how we spent that money and renovated the the out the front he didn't do anything else all the other all the other stuff he just brought it back into the, like what modern football should be so he, he never really added that stuff on that could have you know appreciate in value so to give you a yeah sorry john a, 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 yes you're right that was uh city grants and hmm. part of the whole you know state aid conspiracy paranoia that's that i find <laughs> hilarious um but just to, to also before we move on from the kind of the the model debate mm-hmm. um one one that i like to compare is usually to teams like belgium and portugal uh, and you know portugal have a i just quickly googled it in the background there and porto apparently have a a, a salary of 29 million or 30 million pounds a year so it's about half their salary in total is about half of Celtics. And I also found uh, a different list which has their highest, their three or four highest earners higher than uh, any Celtic player. Um, but then there's a precipitous drop off after that. So there's three or four highest earners more than any Celtic player earns. And then there's another three after that that are about Scott Brown, Callum McGregor level. And then it's down to uh, David Turnbull. Uh, Greg Taylor levels after that for everyone else. Um, yeah, but what so, they do there is they bring through youth, don't they? Which... Well, no, not really. That's the thing. What what they do, they, their model is that they are quite happy and willing to spend 10 to 20 million on a player uh, on the gamble that they will then sell that player on for a profit. And also that they will then, those players will help them get the Champions League. So that that's the your Benfica, your Porto, your Sporting, this is the model that they use. It's not that they... I mean, they do bring to their own youth players, but the model is really to supplement their squad. They will spend eight figures on a player on the assumption that they will sell at least 50% of those players. Like The, the player trading model should be in profit is what their, their model is, but it also relies on Champions League income, and that's with a, a total salary base. It's half of ours. So. Yeah, wow. But you have to look at last year, Porto made uh, losses of a hundred million pounds. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, there, so do we, uh, as Celtic fans, do we want the <laughs> our cake and to eat it? Do you know what I mean? Do we want, do we want the world here? I don't know. It's a, it's a so tough one. Port, what well, did Porto made the Champions League semis recently or quarters? Like quarters? Yeah, like that. It, so, definitely went through far. I remember that. Yeah, and but then the following year they didn't qualify. Do you know what I mean? See, like, so that's the kind of that's what I'm talking about. That's the it's your conundrum. Sorry, that's the conundrum you're in if you push it the way they do. But yeah, that's that's good to see the the comparison in the wages. There, I always thought they were they'd buy a couple of players, big ones that they'd want to sell on, but then they'd bring through their youth or younger guys, guys that they signed for a low fee develop them, sell them on and go again. That's how I always thought most of those Portuguese teams worked. So well, that, that's more of a Benfica sporting thing than Porto, but yeah, that's they, they all use that kind of player trading model. Yep. I, I think as far as a model which we uh Pitalo was very, very slow to even doing. And actually to be fair, we all thought it was going to happen this season. It still hasn't happened. So I'm I'm 
still relatively irritated by that. We wanted a, a much more similar model to like Salzburg, for instance, you know, or, or maybe Ajax, but I don't know as much about Ajax, where we have that conveyor belt system with with players, right? Where we can have a director of football performance director, whatever the hell we call it, um, sporting director. Um, and, and they are very much fixated on making sure that that model continues where we have your first team player, the, 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 the backup that will eventually be the first team player and then the youth to come in after. And that model just keeps moving where you buy a player at say 10 to 12 million, you sell them for a lot more, but that's the entire squad. Each player, each position has that, you know, structure um, and they get sold on. And then the next one just is always there. You've already bought them last season or the season before and it just keeps going. Yeah, Salzburg do it. So it's like buy someone at 10 million as you start, I buy their backup at 5 million. By the time the starter leaves in 12 months or whatever, they're going for 25, 30. Then the other guy steps up. Now he's valued at about that 10 million and it's the same starting point again. And then they spend five in for his, for his replacement again and they go again. That's what they do. Ajax is a little, does a similar sort of thing, but it's more from within their youth academy because it's so strong. Yeah. And they have their director of football there, which is Edwin van der Sar, and he's responsible for overseeing everything. That's what we need. That's what we should have done. Yeah, I think it's particularly with our restraints in terms of um, uh, work permits, we really do need to be focusing on developing Scottish talent. Or well, now, not necessarily yeah. Scottish talent, but like um, homegrown talent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that will be us for, I mean, let's fingers crossed all things go well, but that's at least five to eight years where we're going to struggle with permits and visas and stuff. All right, guys, let's crack on, get into some other topics because, you know, 30-odd minutes of talking Talk about law well. all finances is a uh, good chat. So we've got the uh, <laughs> pre-season camp and friendlies. So what are you hoping to see from us achieve from this camp? Are you hoping it's about fitness? Are you about seeing formation that Ange has a team playing? We start have our first pre-season game today against Sheffield Wednesday. Then we play Charlton on Sunday. I think it's Saturday or Sunday on the 10th. Bristol City on the 14th. Preston North End on the 17th. Then we play Mitchelland. Then West Ham and Mitchelland again. So we've got a busy couple of weeks coming up. So, Sean, what are you hoping out of the camp and the preseason friendlies? I tell you, last year when we had the preseason games in France, I was so gasping for football that I was like, particularly Celtic, I was all over it. I was like, yes, this is amazing. These games are shit, but I'm enjoying it. I'm going to actually, I was given proper analysis. I watched 90 minutes of every game. Uh, these games against uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Charlton, and Bristol, Preston, uh, I'll maybe watch the highlights or see if I can watch it at two times speed or something. I'm not sure. But, uh, I don't, if I can't, then I'll just drop into one or two of them. Because uh, at the moment, we've got the Euros going on, and I'm pretty spoiled in terms of <laughs> enjoyable football to watch. Um, yeah, like, can we, what can we get out of it? The squad that we're operating right now is not the squad we're going to be uh, closing the transfer window with, not even close. So. <sighs> Are you expecting to see many players joining us during the camp? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're sending down like the fourth choice keeper to join in and stuff. I don't know. Like it's it's a concern for me that we're really far behind in our player or in terms of augmenting the squad. Uh and I really don't apart from the midfield, which is relatively settled, I don't expect too much uh productivity to be honest. It's it's a bit of an awkward one. Uh, build the fitness and hopefully maybe some of the peripheral players will get a chance to stake a claim. Uh, players like Luca Connell, uh, Leo Connor. I, I'm looking for, I hope to get to see these players. Liam Shaw, even though he's just in the door. I, this is his, he's got a chance now before any established names come in. Jonathan Afalabi. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm hoping for the same. Like for me, I was, I want to see the guys build fitness. I want to see – I'm actually a little excited about it because I want to see how Andrew's implementing it, and you never know. Like, we may see young guy like Monty coming in at left back, doing
doing well and going, okay, do, we don't need to sign a left back. We've got Taylor. We've got a young guy there who can do the job. Let's focus our resources on a starting right back, a couple of centre backs, a couple of wingers. So it'll be good to see if he can step in. It'll be good to see if Karamoko steps up to the mix and can get into that right wing to back up Jamesy. Then if that's the case, we only need to go and sign a left winger. So Mikey's got some cover. So it's going to be good to see what Andrew's seeing and what he's looking at because he may look at someone and go, yeah, you're a midfielder, but I think you'd be better as a ball-playing centre-half. Or it might be you've played as a centre, you played as a right-back, like Leo Connor can play centre-back, right-back and defensive mid. He may look at him and go, I want to shape you into my... Mark Milligan, which was a guy that he had at Melbourne Victory here and then had at the Australian national team, who was that defensive midfielder who screened the back and was a very vital player. You had Milligan and Mila Yednak playing alongside each other in the defensive midfield spots in that Australian midfield when he won the Asian Cup. He may look at him and go, you can do that role for me. And as an Australian, I'll be like, hey, I know what he's looking to get that guy to do. That's great. But I just want to see what he's seeing and how he's – looking at putting things together because he may see things in training and be like, this player can be this part of the jigsaw puzzle for me. Now I only need to go and recruit five or six players instead of 10. And I'm hoping that's what happens so that you can spend a little bit more here and there on those players, on the guys he wants to bring in instead of having to spend so much of the budget spread out. That's what I'm wanting to see. Brings didn't through some what we're talking about, but then recruit others. Yeah, didn't Rogers and Neil do what you're kind of talking about? Like where Martin and Neil put Bobby Peta and Petrov in, who were nowhere before that, you know, players yeah. like that. Jackie McNamara. And then Rogers did it with like Callum McGregor and uh, other names escape me, to be honest. Uh, but, Ronnie um, Cal. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't think he was, I think he was all over the place before Rogers came in. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm sure that's happened with quality managers in the past. Yeah, well, that's what I'm wanting to say anyway because that's the two managers that you just rattled off there. They've probably been our two best managers, in my opinion, that the club's had in terms of win-loss record and what they've brought to the mix since Steen. So if Ange does the same thing as them and we get the results, great, I'll be happy with that. So let's hope he does the same deal and it works. I absolutely agree. Um, I think we're more than likely to see Dembele play in a couple of these games because I hear that Forrest is having to quarantine because of he was in close contact with a COVID case. Um, so, yeah, I would like to see him play as many of these games as possible, to be honest. I'd also like to see um, probably uh, the beginnings of Ange's style of playing. Um, I, don't really, I, can't really, I can't really work out what he will play to be honest because from what, from what you've been telling me what I've been reading is he could be very adaptable maybe a 4-3-3 will be the where he starts or you know the old 4-2-3-1 but um, I'd like to see some of those players last year that either struggled or were just on the fringes getting pretty regular I'm thinking IAT I'm thinking Vargas um, just to see them settle right down and actually get a good long run of games basically um, even though these are you know games that just probably more about fitness and getting people up ready for Mitchelland than anything else. Um, you you kind of want to either see, you want to balance between getting your first players, your first team players fit, and also trying to work out whether the reserves or the Colts, we want to call it, they're ready to kind of step up. And that's what I want to see. So, so I'm okay with kind of the idea of signing players that fit into a system. Um, because it makes more sense than the opposite of signing a player that's not going to fit into a system that you're determined to play. But, but on the flip side, you also do have to have uh, a fluidity and a flexibility to what you're willing to play tactically. Uh, and then that doesn't necessarily have to be... I mean, it might be down to the personnel available, but it should also be down to the opposition and also not just opposition, just the the general where the, the, the game is at the moment in time. You know, like... When Martin and Neil came in with the three five two, and then after a couple of seasons, he changed it to four four two, and like you need to, like, I don't think it, people generally consider Martin and Neil a master tactician, but at least he did have that flexibility and fluidity to recognise 
where the game was, you know? Yep, totally agree. That's what that's what you want to see from any that's the ideal situation, right? Is um changing formation and um based on either the opposition events or the 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 players that you have. And that could be like, you know, one player only plays twenty five games a year because we only bring him on because you're changing tactics or changing formation. That's ideally what you want to see. I don't think we have that luxury right now, unfortunately. But it sounds like yeah, last we- season in a way where the whole plan was we brought in enough guys to play the three five two, and we're going to have Eddie and Griff up front. And then Griff comes back and he's so out of shape that that went out the wayside. And then he ended up playing twenty odd games or something last year anyway, and most of them are off the bench. So yeah, it's um, going to be an interesting one. Yeah, last year we wanted to play this formation. We didn't have the players that would fit into it, uh, so we just changed to whatever whatever works and, and we were just changing it week to week almost you know like yeah. and then everyone was like praising rangers for sevco excuse me uh for for knowing their system being like having an instinct because they've been playing it so long they all know their role blah 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 but you know the the reality is, is if they came up against a good team that knew how to counteract that they like in previous years they didn't have an answer for it you know they don't have a flexibility to them and and that's my kind of one uh reason that i'm the hope that I'm holding out that we can win the league this year is that Gerard doesn't have that tactical flexibility. He just has a system that is really, really, really well drilled. And he has this last year at least had quality players that could play that system. So if we can overcome that system, overcome their quality, then they won't have an answer to that. But that's an that's an F and a maybe. Yeah. He's hoping. Yep, so what we'll do is we'll jump on to a couple of transfer rumours and then we'll – because what I was just thinking there is we're talking about if the um, – say I was talking about if we could recruit for particular positions, if we can get a few youth guys to come through. So say the the link is that Norwich are going to offer $12 million for Ayer. If we can get $12 million plus a, a 20% sell-on or something like that, I'd say bite the hand for it because what we're seeing linked today is Carl Starfelt, Swedish centre-back who plays at Ruben Kazan, we're being linked with for $4 million. Um, The Aussie hun Craig Moore is saying that Mario Vuskovic, apparently Celtic's going cold on that, but that was $4.5 million. So if you were to buy both of them or Ko Utakura from Man City, Four or five million for that centre back, and then spend four million or whatever it is on Nisbet for another striker. There's your all three or all four of those players. If you sign three of them, they would come straight in and improve our first team. For me, if if Aya goes and we can get lose one starting player but bring in three level starting level players, that's perfect. That's what we need to be doing. So. Yeah, there's been a few other things there where apparently Aaron Hickey, Bologna's not looking to sell him. And Celtic has been linked with Kenneth Powell, 24-year-old. He's left back, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And Barnsley. Uh, yeah, left double check that. Yeah, so, um, so uh, yeah, we've been linked with a few players there. So what are your take on those all those rumours at the moment, Sean? Yeah, I'd said, said on Sunday and still just think the same. We, we need two first-team centre-backs at least, you know. Uh, uh, the stats are read from Boys Analytics. Uh, has Carl Starfield down as a, a ball-playing centre-back. Highest pass accuracy uh, in Russia. Um, every stat you can think of for passing comes out uh, above every centre back in Scotland, uh, apparently he would also come out lowest amount of fouls as well as defensive dual success. So statistically, like, it reads like they have found this player by looking at analytics. From what I'm reading, like he sounds like an an absolute dream analytically, but he's also not at the Euros, and Philip Hillander is. So there's an alarm bell there of some kind because Hillander is shit. Um, <laughs> And Celtic rejected them uh, based on the recommendation of Mikko Lustig 
Philip Pirander I'm talking about, not Starfelt. Um, the interesting thing you're talking about there as well is you're talking about sell Ire for 12 plus add-ons, 100%. One year left on his contract, that's the best we can hope for. Get it. Uh, one thing as well, the thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about, yeah, that pays for three players. You know, that pays for Nesbitt, that pays for Starvelt, that pays for another centre-back. And then, yeah, that's that's 100% what we need to be doing. The interesting thing is, like, talking about players like Starfield, like, maybe two years ago, he would have been worth six, seven million. Uh, based not, don't mean him two years ago. I mean, the current, based on the market change, COVID may have depressed the price of some players into our uh, budget that would have previously been above it. Uh, players like Moyo Yunusi for 15 million to Southampton, that's never happening in this market, you know. Uh, even though the EPL are largely uh, insulated from because of their TV deal, um, the the market overall has depressed in a way that may benefit us. But that being said, it is still the market is still much higher uh, than it was ten years ago, where someone like Starfield would have been one and a half, two million. So, uh, yeah, pros and cons, you know. Um, Can I just yeah. jump in? The second, yeah, Sean, you talked yeah. about the market being depressed. Perfect example. You said about Moyal Nusi, 16 million to Southampton. Mm-hmm. Perfect example on that is Diego Laxalt was 16 million to AC Milan, and he's just gone to Russia for three and a half million or three yeah, million. There you go. Perfect example right there. Yeah. So that that's 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 the post-COVID world and teams in Italy, basically any team outside the EPL is having to take a haircut on what they've done in previous years, you know, and that's, we need to be conscious of that. Uh, We're not up against as many competitors as we have been in the past. And yeah, but we do still need to move faster than we have in the past. Because in the past, we've always waited to the last minute and I don't like it. Something Uh, doesn't work. just popped into my head as well, though, as you're saying that, Sean, is that the... We're talking about these players as well who need to move on, like Ayer, Edward, Christie, those three in particular, right? Now, Cham. And Cham, yep. Okay. Now, those guys, it's great to want to sell them, but you've got to want to need to have buyers. And if the market is that depressed because people lost a lot of money last year, there's are there buyers out there for them? That's the real question. And at what level? Mm hmm. Like a year ago, we could have got 15, 20 million for IR. We would have been looking at 30 to 40 for Edward. We would have been looking at maybe 15, 10 to 15 for, for Christie. And Cham, we would have got our money back on easy. Now we'll be lucky to get a million for, for and Cham. We could lose Christie for nothing. Maybe 12 million for IR is pretty much the most we'll get. And Edward, if we get 20 million, we're doing well. So, yeah. Strange one. Yeah, it could end up in a situation like where it was like pretty consistently in the nineties, where you had to kind of build a team over time. Um, and I don't know if you remember. I think it was maybe oh five, oh six, the last time when Monaco and Porto went played in the Champions League final. I think since then the football transfer market's just been an absolute pile of flaming shit. And uh, on steroids. Yeah, basically everyone outside the top dozen teams is just feeding from scraps um, I mean, it'd be quite interesting actually to see if some teams that are just kind of holding this year just in a holding pattern from last season actually make a big jump uh, like happened in the past but has not happened in the last dozen years I think uh, half of the reason why we might not be seeing a lot of movement so quickly as what we probably expected because we got such a big rebuild is because we are likely waiting for the Ayers, Christie's, and Edwards to move on and using that money to reinvest, probably because we got hit so bad from COVID. Um, so yeah, I I thought last time we were talking about Ayer, um, ten million for a transfer fee was just I'd never thought in a million years we'd get that. To be honest, for a year left in his contract, so twelve million plus add on add ons, hell yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd take that in a heartbeat. And if you can get something, I don't know, relatively similar um, for Edward. And I'm I'm hearing about three million for Christie to go to Monaco, but probably just wait for six months and might not be the end of the world there. Um, but yeah, I t- I take twenty five million and spread it across all the positions that we are in desperate need of. 
That's, that's exactly and and all of these players that we're linked with are the exact types of players that we would want to be linked with, right? We're not we're not linked with um, either complete one-to-ways or you know you know we've we've had players like Bauer at Surrey before. You just go, what? That's not somebody you want really around Surrey because that really the standard. And then you know, you see in this big long list of half truths, maybe it's it's encouraging. Just need to get them across the line, basically. What I find funny as well, though, is you look at it and go, it's also bring these guys in and the wages that they're going to be on is, isn't is over the top. Like if you look at it, Bruni would have been on 25, 30,000 a week. But then you've got guys like Alan was on was on loan to us, but we were picking up a good chunk of that. And he's on like 60,000 or something like that down at Southampton. You had, we're paying 40 something thousand a week to Duffy or 50,000 to him. We're paying 40 something thousand to Lack Salt. So you take all that off our wage bill, and then an example is Mario Vuskovic has been linked to us, and the wage that's being spoken about is thirteen, fourteen thousand a week. So if you can get three guys in, paying them around that thirteen, fifteen thousand, that's three starting players for about forty-five thousand, or the equivalent of what you were paying like sold a week last season. Exactly. Exactly, and that's and and maybe we that's want to move earlier, move uh, move closer to that Porto model, and buy some massive player for twenty five million. Everyone goes off their nut. That's what we want. The, the other thing as well is when you're talking about going like, oh yeah, Moritz Bauer shit. Well, when, like it you need shit. to, <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, do I do I hear the back? I just as a point of reference, I just quickly googled the back four. From the night we beat AC Milan 2 1. Do you remember that? AC Milan. When we beat AC Milan 2 1 in 2007. No, I don't remember that. I'd have been a kid. Scott McDonald goal. Scott McDonald goal, yeah. Uh, when Dida uh, got killed by a Celtic fan and yep. had to go to the infirmary. Um, well, anyway, the back four that night was Lee Naylor, Stephen McManus, Gary Caldwell, and John Joel Perrier Dumbey. That classic, that legend. Standing goal, who'd we have? Uh, Arthur Boric. Wow, that says a lot. <laughs> so you know, what, you know what that sounds like? Put um, Ralston on one wing. Yeah. Put, <laughs> put some, some hack on the left. Get Calvin Miller there. back, put him on the left. Calvin Miller on the left, <laughs> and then just put like Owen O'Connell and... I don't know. Let's just put one decent defender in there. So we'll put Virgil in there, and then we'll have you know Fraser Forster behind him. Yep, sounds good to me. Yeah, Chris Chris Callan came off the bench at one each. He obviously made the difference. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I, I mean, and it worked for Porto, right? To have that big, like maybe it doesn't work if they're in a hundred million worth of debt. So yeah, no, no, that, I mean, that's not debt. That's a hundred million loss in one season. A loss. Oh, so it's, they're not actually in that much debt. They've dropped. They're more debt than that. Yeah, Christ Almighty. They're functionally bankrupt. Let's go buy this. I was going to say, can we not just go to Porto? Buy a lot of airplanes. You know, the clearance bin. They need any cash. Dude, buy some players from them the same way we got Luke O'Connell from Bolton Wanderers. You know, pay cents in the dollar for him. The problem with that is if we go to Porto and try and, and vulture these players, though someday, someday we'll just. But yes. you know, we say two million for that guy. Some, you know, an English team will go two point one million. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that is a problem. But Lowell's not in the door anymore, so maybe that wouldn't be. We'll just go. All right, two point five. Fuck is John Gem. In terms of in terms of Edward being sold as well, you have to kind of calculate. Okay, next year's automatic Champions League if you win the league. So if somebody offers us twenty million for Edward, right? We see ten of that because half of it goes to PSG. So, mm-hmm. if Edward's goals qualifies for the Champions League, that's worth a lot more. Than it's worth thirty million at least there. So, like, I'm I'm actually coming round to the idea of letting him leave as a free agent next year because he is the best striker in Scotland, and if he gets us that automatic forty million pounds by winning the league, why would you sell him? The, the only the only argument against that I can at least understand or empathise with is having somebody around that doesn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah, it, of course, it's yeah, toxic, yeah. right? And and yeah. when it's not just one, and it's a couple, it's a handful. 
I think that yeah. might be one of the biggest problems we had last season is it's just a sort of toxic environment. So that would be why I would say that's why I could see justification and being like, now nah, we'll sell them for whatever we can. But I agree. Yeah. I agree. We need to be a frank conversation where like, Edward, we understand you're leaving for free next year and every goal you score for us adds an extra £1,000 a week onto your wage wherever you're going. So score a shit ton Scores, of goals for yeah, us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it would need to be a kind of very clear understanding that like you need to perform for us to maximise your value kind of thing. I agree. Well, yeah. Speaking of Edward then, he wasn't selected in France's Olympic team. So... That's a good thing for us because it's not going to go to the Olympics and then have to come back and quarantine for 10 days. Mm-hmm. So happy days for us. Probably not for him. Old mate Bayo was called up to Ivory Coast squad, but looks like he's going to be off on loan again soon anyway to lose. So I don't think that's a big deal for us. So what are your thoughts on that? The Olympic one's a funny one. We don't normally have players go to the Olympics. I think Ki mm. Sung Young was the, the last one I can remember. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still, I don't think Bio's going to make it, but now would be the time for him to have a chance. And uh, that he's basically forfeiting that chance by going to the Olympics. I agree. The that you're talking about, get him on, on the bench, the big giraffe. <laughs> the big giraffe. <laughs> yeah, look, I've seen a few goals that he scored for Toulouse, and they they look like good goals, you know. But like highlight on a thirty second highlight on uh, Twitter is not telling me much about how Sunday's played over an hour, you know. Yeah, that and and we you know we we it might be more of an issue with players coming in than who we have just now. Um, it's a weird it's a weird one, right? Having the Olympics back-to-back from the Euros and stuff. So it might be more of a case if we bring a player in, we might not be able to use them as immediately as we think if they're off to the Olympics. That's the only issue I see. Mm-hmm. Unless they're Ange's mates that he's got coming from Japan who are in the Olympic team over there, and we don't need them in straight away, but as long as we got them after the Olympics, then maybe that's something to look at as well. But not fast, all good. Happy days. We'll get on with it. We've got our squad in there. Celtics back. We're playing, playing tonight. Getting excited. Brilliant. I'm watching it. I'm staying up <laughs> just to watch Celtic. To be honest, I want to see the uh, Angera. I might watch it. I'm contemplating <laughs> it because what are they going to do? Fire me at work? I finish on Friday anyway. Yeah, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> do you want a, a quick rundown of the 16 countries at the Olympics? See if it affects us. Yeah, go on. Sure. Japan, uh, South Africa, Maybe. Mexico, France, New Zealand, South Korea, Honduras, Romania, Egypt, Spain, Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Germany, Ivory Coast, and Saudi Arabia. So the ones that jump out there are Australia and Japan. Mm-hmm. Sign people from that, those two, yeah, that could be an, an option. But Marco Tilio, get him in. Get that little left winger in. Little nuggety bloke. <laughs> so, like, like honey on steroids. <laughs> yeah. With um, Moy would most likely be in the Australian national team, right? Yeah, it's it's not the Olympics. Olympics. Well, you're allowed a certain number. Was it three overage players? Something three like overage, that? yeah. But he's not one of the ones selected. Is he not? Okay. So, it might not affect us at all, really. We might just, we might yeah. just um, be lucky there. Good. All right, boys. Okay. So we'll get into our final thoughts for the podcast. And John, you still had a quiz for us, do you? I do, a little one. Okay, cool. So final thoughts, John. Okay, so I've heard this chatted around um, other pods and stuff about McGregor not being captain material, and I disagree. I think he is captain material, and I think he will rise to the role. I think um, he doesn't have much as, as much of a small personality as we might think he does. Sure. That's it. Yeah, my final thought is, thought is I'm glad I am not in England. Uh, <laughs> uh, having done some amateur investigation into different political systems, hi- anarchy would be preferable to the political shitstorm that is going on in England, as well as the science experiment they're about to do on what happens when you, on, on virus evolution, when you release 
a virus on a partially uh, vaccinated population. And my, my final thought is on behalf of Australia, we stand with Mary, Crown Princess of Denmark, who was born in Tasmania, Australia, and say, go the Danes, get it up your England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was wondering where we we're going to go there with royalty. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm actually, uh, as much as I, I definitely, definitely, definitely want Denmark to win tonight, but also, I'd love I'm to gonna, see who's at Wembley. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go up at three in the morning for the final, so I'd enjoy that more if Italy were beating England in the final rather than Denmark. <laughs> it's it's a high know. risk strategy. I'm not, I'm not going to deny it. Uh, no comment. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to be awake when football goes home. <laughs> yeah, when it, when it leaves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, John, I have a little quiz to finish off. All right, just a quick one, right? So I was doing some research during the week, especially with these transfer rumors, and I thought this was interesting. Um, so since UEFA has been ranking leagues, which 10 leagues have consistently been ranked first to third? So there's 10 of them and they have either been first, second or third and they're the ones that have, they're the only leagues that have ever been ranked first, second or third since like the huh? 50s. What? Sorry, can you ask <laughs> question? Okay, so there are 10 leagues that have been consistently ranked first to third since UEFA has been ranking leagues in the 50s. In the 50s. Okay, right, okay. Yeah. Which 10 do you think that is? It goes all the way up to, you know, this year. Okay. Poland. Poland is not one. I said Holland. Oh, he said, he said Netherlands. Oh, Holland. Holland. Yes. The Holland, the Everdee is one. Uh, I'll, I'll take the easy one. I'll go with the uh, English. Yes. Both Bundesliga. the first. Bundesliga. Yes. Uh, Spain. La Liga. Yep. League Un. League Un. Yes. League Un has been one. Uh, Portugal. Portugal has not been ranked. What? Huh. Serie A. Serie A has been ranked. Yes, Serie A is one. Hmm. Um. Well, I guess technically I'm out, but uh, uh, if it's not Portugal, who who'd be next? Or UEFA. UEFA. Okay, just checking. Austria. Austria is not one. Man, I suck at this game. Whistle. You've missed. I think. I've, I think we missed the big one. One of the big five. Mm, have France, Germany, Italy, Spain, England. We've done them all. Okay. I don't know if we said Spain. Yeah, right, Spain. All of okay. All right. Cool. And then we've got Holland as well. So we've got six. Holland. Yeah. 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 So you're missing four. Portugal was said as well, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, Portugal's not one. Okay. So we've got six so far. Russia? Russia is one, yes. So when hmm. it was the Soviet top league, it was called top league. <laughs> that was okay, it. I'm going to go for a weird one here. The former Yugoslav republics, a.k.a. the Balkans, because the Yugoslavian league would have been up there, but I don't know how those teams are now. It, the Yugoslav was not one, so it was ranked lower than third. Well, there you um, go. Um, Maybe one closer to home. Scotland? The Scottish Football League was ranked third four times. What? Um, Greece? Nah. You want me to just give it to them? Yeah. Yep. So uh, one of them is the Belgian First Division A. Mm. Mm, that makes sense. They were ranked second. They were ranked third twice, sorry. And the other one is, I'm not going to try and pronounce what the name of the league is, but it's NB1, which is the Hungarian league. Which was ranked. Uh, the Puskas back in the day. Yeah. yeah. That's, what, that's why I thought Portugal, because of uh, Eusebio. But yeah. There you go. I thought that was interesting. The Hungarian. The former manager at South Melbourne. There you go, everyone. There's a good tie-in to finish it off. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely meant that when I was looking through the UEFA rankings. <laughs> yeah, heaps. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure you uh, follow Celtic Down Under on Instagram and Twitter at Celtic Down. Facebook, join our group. 
on there, Celtic Down Under. Uh, we're also got our website, www.celticdownunder.com. Thanks for listening in again, everyone. Thanks, John. Thanks, Sean. How, how? How, how? how?